Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We are in the Gospel of John. We are going verse by verse through this wonderful account recorded by John, a disciple of Jesus. Our tagline, the overarching theme for this entire book is, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fellowship that you provide here at Villas Grace Church. I want to pray for each and every one of us to be an encouragement to each other in you. Lord, I pray that you use us to lead each other to you. Use us to share our faith with others so people can come to a saving faith and we can add souls to your kingdom. We know all of this is possible through the person and work of Jesus, and we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. You're looking at a picture of Odd Hagen. Yeah, that is his name. It's Odd Hagen. And the reason why his name's a little odd, and I'm telling you it's spelled O-D-D, is because he's Norwegian, but he was actually born here in America. Now, the reason why we're showing you Odd here is because I just want to give you some of his accolades, some of his feats really quickly. He is actually an all-around strong man, and from this photo, you can definitely tell he looks strong now, doesn't he? But he specializes specifically in grip strength. In fact, Hagen is known for possessing the strongest grip on earth. Hagen has a long list of grip strength accomplishments. I'm just going to share three of them with you because the list, trust me, is rather extensive. He was the first to achieve a one-hand cling of the 231-pound Millennium Dumbbell. He did 63 reps of 172 pounds of the Thomas Inch Dumbbell within 10 minutes. He accomplished the suitcase double barbell grip at 231 pounds for 10 seconds. Sure, I get it. The one-handed cling of the Millennium Dumbbell is rather impressive. Sure, 63 reps of the Thomas Inch Dumbbell is impressive too. And yes, I get it. The suitcase double barbell grip for 10 seconds is also Impressive. And ladies, I'm sure you would be more than comfortable having Odd Hagen hold on to your purse on a New York subway transit commute. Now, wouldn't you? It's not going anywhere. Nobody's going to get that purse. As impressive as these feats are, they're still limited. They are. To look at a strong man like that and to make a statement like that, you would think maybe there's some falsehood within that statement, but no. There isn't. They're still limited. They're limited in weight. He's not lifting everything. They're limited in time and duration. He's not doing it forever. After all, Hagen is nothing more than a mortal man. Though his grip is the strongest of the strong men, he's still limited in his grip strength. We're just impressed with these numbers and these feats because his limitations far exceed our limitations. 
Now, I would maybe put Mr. Bill, if you shake Bill's hands, he has a meat cleaver. He'd probably be the closest one of all of us to be able to even get this close, but still, we're all limited. So that's the reason why we're impressed, because his limitations are just a little beyond ours. But at the end of the day, we're all limited. I want to share with you something that Jesus said with that statement in mind. In fact, this is one of the verses or part of a verse that we're going to cover this morning. Jesus said, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone that He has given me, I will lose nothing. Hagen lost his grip. He lost it on the Millennium Dumbbell. He lost it on the Thomas Inch Dumbbell. And he lost his grip on the suitcase double bar bell as well. Now compare the weight of these dumbbells and double barbells with the weight of salvation. I think it goes without saying there is absolutely no comparison. See, the mortality of man is actually limited. I don't care who you are. Even Samson. The mortality of man will limit you each and every day, whereas the immortality of Jesus is unlimited. Again, what did Jesus say? And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone that He has given me, I will lose nothing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus isn't losing His grip on our salvation. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. And that title is this, God's Will. God's Will. As we stated earlier, we are in John going verse by verse through this entire gospel account recorded by John, a disciple of Jesus. Today we're in chapter 6, looking at verses 36 through 40. But before we go any further, we have to remember that last week, Pastor Jared, in his sermon, Food That Does Not Perish, we were encouraged to know that we receive imperishable food when we believe in Jesus. And this is because salvation is not a work. Salvation is a belief. And this imperishable food is the Word, a.k.a. Jesus, as we actually saw in John 1.1 when we first began going through John. And also we must remember Jesus is the bread of life. Today we continue on that thought about salvation and we'll witness Jesus declaring God's will. God's will that actually declares, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that of everything that He has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. So without any more being said, let's look at all of our verses right here in chapter 6 of John 36 through 40. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of Him who sent me, that of everything that He has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Amen. What we're looking to do right here is to put all of these verses into one sentence that becomes our main idea, defining everything that we see in the text. And like always, we want to keep this sentence as simple as possible, and it states this, eternal salvation is solely contingent upon Jesus. Eternal salvation is solely contingent upon Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other how. There is no other avenue. Everything goes through Jesus as it pertains to having eternal salvation. So let's go ahead and start right here in verse 36 and start to pick apart some of the truths that we see in these verses that makes that statement true. And as we witnessed last week, the crowd had found Jesus on the other side of the shore. We remember this from verse 25. They found Jesus as he was on the other side of the shore. And here we pick it up in verse 36 where Jesus rebukes the unbelieving crowd. He starts off by giving them a rebuke right here in verse 36. Now, some of you may not know what that word means, rebuke, and it's quite simple. It means a stern disapproval or to be reprimanded. Now, I think all of us know what it's like to be reprimanded at some point in our lives. Jesus was reprimanding this crowd. Jesus reprimanded the crowd's unbelief in his self-revelation. That's what he was doing here. Because up until this point, Jesus had performed many miracles, We've already seen this in the account of John up until this point in chapter 6. And all of which, as it pertains to these miracles, they confirmed his claim as to being equal to God. Jesus was saying, by performing these miracles, I am God himself in human form. Now, with that being said, and with Jesus' reprimand, this crowd now is without excuse. They have absolutely no excuse. Quite simply, they had rejected Christ as Messiah. Remember, they wanted a king for the moment, a temporary king to take care of their needs, or not needs, shall I say, to take care of their wants, what they wanted right here, right now. So what does Jesus say? What does he say to them? He says, I said to you, you have indeed seen me. So here's the problem. They'd only seen Jesus through a temporal perspective. They hadn't seen Jesus through the eternal perspective. The miracles only excited their temporal wants when the miracles actually should have excited their eternal need. And this is application for us as well. When we approach the gospel, we approach the gospel because of our eternal need. The gospel provides everything that we need for eternal salvation. The gospel provides everything that we need for our life eternal to be with our Lord and Savior. 
The gospel is not about what we need right here, right now. And that's exactly the reason why Jesus is reprimanding this crowd because that's what they wanted. They were doing it when Jesus walked this earth and people are still doing the same thing today. We must understand that God is absolutely sovereign and that's something that we must understand before we continue any further this morning. He's even sovereign over our own salvation. That's a concept that's foreign to many. Many people think that they are sovereign over their own salvation. Scripture is very clear, and we're seeing it right here this morning, that God himself is even sovereign over our salvation. Again, Pastor Jared reminded us last week that salvation is not a work, it's a belief. You believe and receive Jesus and repentance is involved as well because let's face facts, we are all born rebellious, we are all born hell-deserving sinners, but we have the good news of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in God's sovereignty, He is so sovereign, He gets to choose who believes and who doesn't. And this is why Jesus says this right here. He says, everything that the Father gives me will come to me. Those who are come to Jesus, those who come to Jesus were predetermined to come to Jesus. They were predetermined before God even created the foundations of this world. One commentator says it brilliantly. I just want to read exactly what was written. He says this, the whole history of redemption is gathering of this redeemed body or the calling of a bride for the son as a love gift from the father. The son views every soul given by the father to him as an expression of the father's irresistible love so that all whom he gives will come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, you cannot have redemption without repentance. And redemption is God's will. In fact, if you want to sum the whole Bible up, if somebody asked you, how would you sum the whole Bible up in the fewest amount of words possible? The best way to sum up the whole entire Bible would be this, to call the Bible a redemptive love story. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's redemptive love story. And there is no redemption without repentance. In fact, salvation is never our own personal will. Because those who are redeemed are, as it says, born by the will of God. This is evidence from when we covered John chapter 1 a few months ago. If you remember back to John chapter 1, verse 13, it said this, Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, if God is sovereign, and those who are redeemed are actually born of God, that means repentance and faith come from God too. Brothers and sisters, if repentance and faith didn't come from God, then no one would ever come to Him. 
because we'd be just like that unbelieving crowd that we've been able to witness the last two weeks leading up into this sermon. The crowd who'd seen Jesus, the crowd who'd witnessed his miracles, the crowd who wanted the temporal over the eternal. But now, as for everything the Father gives me, as Jesus says right here, our being chosen by God for salvation, I would just like to look at two other verses to back this up because this is not our work. This is not our work. This is God's choosing of us, and it is littered throughout all of Scripture. Matthew 22, verse 14, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we could save ourselves, if we could do just enough work to please God, it would say, born of the will of flesh. No, it says, not of the will of flesh. God is sovereign over our salvation. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. If you're born of the will of God, not of the will of the flesh, and it says that all who were appointed to eternal life believe, that means the one who does the appointing is not us. God appoints us towards eternal life because God is sovereign over our salvation. This is the point that Jesus is driving home. He's telling them, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am God in human form. Look at these miracles I've performed. I am sovereign over your eternal destiny. Now, as we go back to verses 36 through 37, now I believe this, this you know, goes without being said, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. And it basically summarizes just everything that we've already said in a very simplistic form. But those who come to Jesus only come to Jesus because God wanted them to come to Jesus. Now, we don't know who those individuals are. That's not our job. Our job is to make disciples. Our job is to be fishers of men. Our job is to share the gospel. And when those who were appointed by God to come to saving faith in Jesus, it is our job to be representations of what it's like to follow him. That is the purpose of the church. That's the reason why we've been left behind. We haven't been left behind for any other reason. We've only been left behind to make disciples. We've been left behind to be on the team that is part of God's kingdom, to be children of God, to share the good news with others because we're all born rebellious. And this is also why Jesus says this. He says, And the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. See, Jesus can't cast out the believer. In fact, it is a divine impossibility for Jesus to cast out those who have saving faith in him. And this is for one reason, one simple reason only. And it's because Jesus didn't come to do his will. What does it say? It says, but the will of him who sent me. And this is precisely what we're seeing as we move on to verses 38 through 40. Now, 
Remember the limitations of Odd Hagen. Amazing feats of grip strength. He had that world record Millennium Dumbbell, world record Thomas Inch Dumbbell, world record suitcase double barbell grip. Odd Hagen, still limited, still limited by weight, still limited by time duration. But Jesus, on the other hand, what does it say right here? What does he encourage us in? He says, he will lose nothing. Believers have an eternal guarantee. Brothers and sisters, our eternal destiny is being secured by Jesus. Yeah, you can let Hagen hold your purse on a New York subway, but I want Jesus to firmly grip my salvation. Now, this contradicts the beliefs of certain churches. There are churches that practice such things as Pelagianism or Arminianism. Pelagianism is uh, defined like this. It's the original sin that did not affect mankind. Humans can achieve perfection on their own free will. Arminianism says that God's sovereignty and human free will are compatible as the individual has the ability to either hold or lose their salvation. Now, you may think that some of these churches are like, you know, far and few between and we wouldn't see one. I guarantee some of you passed a few of these on the way here this morning. In fact, there's a church a stone's throw away right here on Beacon that believes in Arminianism. They believe that you can either hold or lose your salvation. You can work to keep God's favor or maybe you do a few things and now you have lost his favor and you've lost your salvation. That would be the Wesleyan church down the road. To me, that's a major difference. If we're going to sit here this morning and say that Jesus firmly grips those who have a saving faith in him, and we're going to say that he loses nothing, that he will never cast out the believer because he's doing the will of the Father, I will die on that hill. I'm not calling other churches out to be negative or say that we're better. That's not the intention whatsoever. I just want to preach the gospel in its entirety, in its context. And as we've gone through John, we have seen nothing but Jesus being revealed as the Messiah. And now here we are at a crossroads where he is telling the unbelieving crowd that you're not believing what I'm saying and I am the only one that could ever secure your eternal destiny. It's just too bad you're too worried about the temporal over the eternal. According to John's recording of Jesus, we're given to Jesus by the Father. And Jesus himself will lose nothing as we've stated, so there's nothing for us to worry about earning. And there's nothing for us to worry about losing. Once we come to that saving faith in Jesus, we're not going to lose that eternal destiny. Because it's all contingent upon Jesus and his work and what he's told us that he will do. There's only faith there's only redemption, there's only repentance, and there's only belief that we have to worry about. And all of which is centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Allow me to share these verses of verification. 
Because I would hate to make these statements and for you to think that this is just my opinion. God's Word tells us as much. And some of these verses we're actually going to cover in the coming months. But John 10, 27-30, Jesus Himself says, My sheep listen to My voice and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So not only is he repeating himself by saying no one will ever snatch them out of my hand, no one will ever lose their salvation once they come to a saving faith in my personhood, in my work, but he's also saying I and the Father are one. So let's go back to verses 38 through 40. We recognize that it's God's will that all believers will be, as it says, raised up on the last day. Jesus' grip was upon us prior to this age. Now, I really want you to pay attention to this because this is absolutely mind-blowing. And I'm not going to stand here this morning and try to act like I have this figured out because I don't. I'm just going to give you the truth. Jesus' grip was upon us prior to this age. Jesus' grip will be upon us until the end of this age. And Jesus' grip will be upon us for the rest of eternity. This is God's will from eternity past to eternity future and everything in between. Everything from the past to the present to the future is contingent upon Jesus, the cornerstone. So what do we have to do? What is it that we have to do? Simple. Believe. That is it. Believe in the person and work of Jesus. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe in Jesus' sacrificial work upon the cross. Believe that Jesus' grip is eternally sufficient. Sufficient for our eternal security. Sufficient as a guarantee of our salvation. Sufficient to perform God's will to perfection. So as Joe comes up and we close out this morning... I want to ask you a question. What's your system of belief? What is it? What is your system of belief? Do you believe in Jesus for the temporal benefit like the unbelieving crowd that we've witnessed the last few weeks here in this account? Do you believe in your own free will? Do you believe that it's up to you to manage and maintain your salvation? Or do you believe that it's up to Jesus to lose, as it says in the text this morning, to lose nothing. Do you believe that God shows you before He created the world's foundation? That's mind-blowing. Before God even created the heavens and the earth, He had already chosen us in Him through Christ. Do you believe that Jesus, or do you believe that He has given you to Jesus, that God has given you to Jesus so that He could carry out God's will to perfection? I believe it's fitting that we close this morning with a verse from 1 Peter, two verses in fact. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And this ties together everything that we just stated. Peter records this. He says, To those who reside as strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
who are chosen, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Two more verses. Let's go for it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Yeah, that strong man can grip some heavy weight for some long periods of time, but he will eventually lose his grip. But our salvation has been secured by the grip of Jesus, who will lose nothing, who will not allow anyone to snatch us from his hand. Brothers and sisters, it's God's will that only Jesus could keep a grip on our salvation before, now, and forever. And this is the reason why our main idea stated this this morning. Eternal salvation is solely contingent upon Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can share the gospel effectively. Use us to make disciples, Lord. Thank you for the eternal security that we know that we have in Jesus. Allow us to be used in such a way to share that truth with those who do not know you. We pray all of this in the name who made it possible, Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.